Tape Lancers podcast. I am your host, Mike Turk, with Gerard today from the newly crowned, what, Liberty Bunker? The Liberty Bunker. That's what we'll call it. Yeah, I like it. Liberty Bunker. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It it is Monday, January 28th, 2019, and this is episode 22. Today, we are extremely excited to be joined uh, via Skype with uh, Andrew Hollister, libertarian candidate for... Uh, governor of New York, he or Lieutenant Governor of New York last year, he ran with uh, Larry Sharp, who, if you remember, we interviewed in this podcast about two months ago. Um, and we are going to be talking 100% about the campaign and uh, the good old Second Amendment here in the bastion of socialism, New York State. Stick around, and uh, this one's going to be good, I think. What do you think? I think so, too. I think you're going to like it. All right. So, Gerard, it's been a while. How are you? I'm doing okay. Doing all right. Um, Guys, 1787 Army, thank you, um, as always, for your support. Um, keep sharing everything that you have been on Facebook. The If you're watching the YouTube channel right now, you'll be able to see uh, Andrew in a few seconds. We actually pre-recorded yep. the, uh, the interview, so we'll switch on to that in a few seconds. But all of the, uh, all of the I guess, links, you would say, kind of changed around us. So make sure you take advantage of the Facebook account, facebook.com slash 1787 Media Network, the Twitter account at 1787MediaNet, and most importantly, our new podcast app, Anchor, which you can find us anchor.fm slash Podcast, and there you can find us on a multitude of different uh, podcast yeah. apps. So you can find the one that you like and listen to all of us from there. Um, if you are in the ability to uh, give us some financial assistance for giving you good t- content, you can hang, like head right over to our anchor page. There's a little um, support this podcast tab where you can give us a monthly donation of one, five, and ten dollars. So if you're able to do that, we would appreciate it. Everything goes right back to the podcast here for upgrades and equipment, and you know, yeah. providing you better content. So um, I will bore you no more, I guess, with my jibber-jabber. Guys, Andrew Hollister, Libertarian, New York State, from Rochester. Enjoy the interview. Andrew, welcome to the uh, Simple Answers Podcast. It is uh, a pleasure to have you here. Um, as you know, I talked to Larry probably about two months ago, so we were we were itching to get you on. Um, for those who don't know you, let us hear a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from. Are you a native New Yorker? I am. I am. So thank you so much for having me on the show. And I am a native New Yorker, born and raised in Rochester, New York. That's in Western New York, for those who might not know where that is. Um, Lived here my whole life. So I grew up um, in the city of Rochester, and uh, I started a small business here. I run a small IT company and really just got involved in politics when I started uh, thinking about raising kids in New York. That's really what did it for me. 
Um, ironically, you would think as as a small business owner, that's what would push me into politics. Or uh, maybe when I bought my first home and started paying ridiculous property taxes, maybe that would have pushed me into politics. Um, but it didn't. Neither of those things did. Uh, what it was is my wife and I, we sat down, we started planning for a family and planning for kids. And every time we would talk to somebody and tell them like, hey, yeah, we're thinking about kids in the near future, you know, and, and they would just have this kind of like really concerned look on their face. And they would, uh, you, you know, and they really know what that was about. And a lot of times they would say something like, well, you know, you're not going to leave, right? You guys aren't going to leave New York or leave the state. And uh, just like almost every single per people I didn't even really know, you know, all had this really concern um, that we would leave. And so I was like, why is everybody acting like this? What's going on? So sure enough, I uh, jumped on the Internet, started doing some research and man, can I tell you, I started understanding what these what everybody was talking about, you know, and I think some people, they don't really think about school districts until maybe they already have kids. But that's like one of the first things I started looking at is school districts. Um, then as a small business owner, I looked at taxes as a homeowner. I looked at property tax um, and then just as a regular person, I looked at things like income tax, sales tax. And I was like, wow. New York is just terrible. Like, I love our state. I love the people here. Um, I love the nature we have and, and all the landmarks and all of that. But, geez, we just get so oppressed here in New York State. Um, and we get just really poor quality services for the amount of taxes we pay. We have... Um, not so great school districts. In fact, a lot of people um, believe, and this is just why I always heard, so I just kind of believed it too, um, that, well, our taxes are really high, but, you know, you don't want your kids going to school in, like, Mississippi or something like that. They would always, like, you know, throw out some southern state and, like, oh, we're, our education is so much better than theirs. Um, and then you do the research and you're like, oh, we're ranked, like, 46th in some areas for education and 30th for other areas. Like we're not even close to above average. In fact, we're below average. Um, so like that sort of stuff is really what got me thinking that I would leave New York and my wife too. We actually started um, searching for states to move to because we were planning for kids and me being the guy I am, my friends, my family, everybody they tease me about my spreadsheets because that's just how i organize data i write the equations pull in there organize it um so they joke that i've got a spreadsheet for everything the running joke in the family is i've got a spreadsheet for when i'm gonna have kids which is not true but you know if if it you hear help. it they, believe me it wouldn't help no 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 it that's this is one of those things that yeah yeah so um, so I started putting states in that spreadsheet along with things that were important to us, um, things like school districts, tax rates, um, ranking for safety, uh, Second Amendment rights. That's really important to both of us. Um, things like, you know, cost of living, sales tax, property tax, all of these things. And then we started narrowing it down based on the criteria, based on what was important to us. Finally, we landed on South Carolina. South Carolina was the state that we're like, 
this this could be where we raise our kids. Mm -hmm. And kind of as an aside, and I'm sure Larry probably said this while he was on the show, but just in case he didn't, you know, so many New Yorkers leave New York State and go to North and South Carolina that they have a name for us. They call us halfbacks because you move to Florida and halfway back. So, so, so I almost, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was on my way to become a halfback. And, uh, so my wife and I, we start looking at homes. We start looking at school districts and, uh, one of the other criteria that I didn't mention that was on there is, um, we had to have an airport within a half an hour that could get us back home because why? Because all of our families here. So every single time we started looking, you know, at a property here. Oh, this is the right school district, this and that. We'd look, well, how easy is it to fly back to Rochester? And every single time this question came up, and that's when it hit us. This is home. New York State is home. And we didn't want to leave home. We didn't want to leave the state. We just don't like our government. We, we don't like being oppressed. So that's uh, that's when we made the decision, and I made the decision that I was going to stay and fight. And I didn't know what that looked like at the time. Um, a little bit later that year, it turned into a city council race. And then the next year, which was last year, it turned into a race for lieutenant governor. Um, but that's really how I got into this. And that's just kind of a little bit about me. I've always been you know, an outdoorsman. I've hiked in the Adirondacks. Um, love Naples Grape Festival, you know, just just all across the state. And, you know, through the campaign, um, I actually started going to New York City. And uh, sorry. I, yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's how I felt about it initially. <laughs> but it's it's grown on me in a few ways, you know, and one of those ways is just there's actually some good people down there. I know you wouldn't believe it based on what sure you see about New York City. Sure but uh yeah, yeah, but there there are some really awesome people down there. Public transportation's nice, you know, those sort of things that a big city has to offer. Um, so New York just has everything you could ever want. You just gotta go a couple hours in one direction. Um, so for me, this is home, and that's why I'm still here and not in South Carolina. Now I do reserve the right someday I may still end up in another state. You know, I'm not like promising I'll never leave um, because if the state continues on the path that is going down, uh, we might not have a choice. We uh, we will just we have a choice. Yeah. I, I said that to Larry yeah. too, because, you know, we talked in length about moving. I, I was in the same boat. I was going to move to North Carolina. I said to Gerard, Hey, we're moving the podcast oh, yeah. down South. He's like, all right, pack it up. Let's do it. There <laughs> it. we go. Yep. Um, yep. And it, it stinks that like you are correct. It's, it's one of the, the most gorgeous States out there. You're literally able to do everything in all four seasons. And I've been here since I was born. I'm the only native New Yorker that in my entire family, that's still here. Everyone else is left, yeah. um, you know, at least once. So I, I wanted to touch base on, uh, two things before we we go d- head deep into the Second Amendment. Uh, you guys ran, you and Larry, you ran an amazing campaign, in my opinion. I just want to get you. your quick opinion on what you thought of the campaign uh, being inside it. And secondly, you guys received just over 95,000 votes um, for the Libertarian Party. 
were you surprised at this outcome, either positive or negative? Um, yeah, so yes and no. So I guess, let me, what was that, like three or four questions? What, what was the first question? That was, <laughs> yeah. What did you guys uh, think about the campaign in and of itself? Oh, the campaign. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the campaign was amazing. I mean, really, really amazing. So a little bit of background. Um, when the SAFE Act got passed, and I know we're going to talk 2A later, so I won't talk too much about this. Um, that's actually when I first registered to vote. So that that's something that uh, sometimes I tell people. I had mentioned that family is what really pushed me into politics. Well, New York State's the what I call the unsafe act. Um, they that's what pushed me to pay attention. Um, so I actually the I didn't know anything about the Libertarian Party at the time. Um, I didn't even know it existed. All I knew was Democrat and Republican. That's it. And at the time, I thought I was under this strangely false pretense um, that the Republicans were going to do something about the SAFE Act. Right. So when I registered to vote, I jumped on the Republican bandwagon, signed up right away, started getting involved in the committee, um, helped with some campaigns. And that's where um, I think our campaign was so amazing because I've worked on other campaigns with huge backing. I mean, we're talking about people that could write a check for a million dollars type thing that was not like ran anywhere near as well as ours. Definitely didn't have anywhere near the grassroots support that ours did and really didn't actually reach out and touch the people. So before I started running my own campaigns, the experience I had in other campaigns was um, it's mostly just about raising money. I mean, that's that's really what it was raising money, hitting some target areas, making relationships with just some key people. Um, these campaigns were totally different. And this last campaign was just amazing because we went to literally every single county in the state, every county in the state. And it was uh, getting down to, you know, towards the end, I think it might have been like October. And I went into the Adirondacks. I went to uh, Hamilton County and I go in there. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, we're getting really good response. And I show up and there's like 12 people in there. And I was like, oh, like this, this kind of hurts a little bit. Like, man, are we are we losing momentum here? Like, what's going on? And uh, so I mentioned it to somebody and they're like, oh, this is the whole town. This is just everybody who lives here. You know? <laughs> so so it's all about perspective. Right. right. I mean. You know, it's it's not like Rochester, where I live, where just in the city proper, there's a quarter of a million people like we went everywhere. And I got to meet just so many amazing people um, and people who brought their kids, which is great. Like the fact that people cared so much about what's happening in our state that they would bring their children, which sometimes are only like five or six years old. And then other times we're in middle school or high school so that they can come and learn and be a part of the process, but also to show Larry and I how important this is to them because they were thinking about leaving too. And they were like, you know, trying to figure out if what Larry and I are talking about could make this state salvageable, make it livable. And so it was just an amazing, amazing experience and the grassroots efforts that we had on this campaign was just insane. I still meet people all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, the campaign was awesome. Um, 
you know, I voted for you guys, people that I've never met before in my life who I meet afterwards and they knew about it. And I got to say, you know, we got about 100,000 votes. I feel like way more than that reach out and say like that they voted for us. It's kind of funny, but it's like, you know, it's hard to quantify or even think about 100,000 people like that made that choice. So um, did we want to do better? Of course we did. Um, There were a few things that happened at the end of the campaign that really kind of sunk the ship for us. And one of those is how polling is done. So I don't know, are you guys, do you guys know about how polling's done? Or maybe I should just talk about it because maybe your audience doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. polling, the way polls work, like you see Sienna poll, Quinpack poll, um, those aren't polls that they just do out of the goodness of their heart. That is, um, somebody pays for those polls. And they get to choose the questions, kind of sample, the whole everything. So towards the end of the campaign, I think it was about two weeks before the election, um, a Republican PAC bought that Sienna poll. I think they spent about $50,000 on it. And they structured it in such a way where every call didn't have our name on that call. So what they do is, um, and this, this is like, this is considered like legitimate polling here, which is yeah. really interesting. So what they do, and you always know this is happening when you read in the article where it says like, this person got this much, this person got this much, and the rest got a combined of 10%. Yeah. So what that means is they picked up the phone and they called and they said, are you voting Andrew Cuomo? Mark Molinaro or Howie Hawkins. Only three options. And if you said Larry Sharp, they would actually mark you as a non-voter. Wow. Then, yeah, exactly. Then they would make the next call. Are you voting Andrew Cuomo, Mark Molinaro, Stephanie Miner? So what they would do is rotate out the last person, the the third parties. That's their excuse as to why they would do that. Um, So our name would only come up once out of every five phone calls. And what that did is made it look like Molinaro had an artificial jump. And I don't know if you guys remember that article. It came out. It was Molinaro's closing the gap. He's within striking distance. Well, here's what happened. All of the -the on-the-fence Democrats who are terrified of Trump said, Oh, my God, Molinaro might win. We'll have a Republican in New York. Republicans support Trump. Oh, no, can't have that. I I can't vote for Sharp. I like him. I like his policies. Good guy. Can't have a Republican. Going to vote Cuomo. All the Democrats left. Same thing with a lot of Republicans. Same situation. Oh, I like Larry. I love his policies. I think he's a great guy. But Molinaro's within striking distance now. I we he's gonna be the one that wins. So they all switched over as well. And I'm saying all, but you know, a large amount of them because of that last poll. Which it's funny. I had a Republican operative that I ran across the other day, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's exactly what we wanted. That was exactly what the plan was." I'm like, "Yeah, you know, it, that's uh, yeah, exactly. New York is much worse off now because of you." Yeah. So. Um, but the thing is, those polls cost about fifty thousand dollars, thirty to fifty thousand dollars. So our campaign did not have the funding to buy those type of polls, um, and we couldn't. We didn't have the funding to be included in some of the polls. 
So that was the one thing that really torpedoed us. The other thing that really, really hurt us was when they ran that debate in New York City. Yeah. It was yep. only Cuomo and only Molinaro. And a lot of people thought we dropped out of the race because of it. So a lot of people just thought, oh, Larry Sharp's not running. Andrew Hollis just not running. They weren't in the debate, so they they must have dropped out. And so a lot of people, you're not going to vote for somebody who dropped out. Nobody else will either. Right. Um, so so we lost we lost a whole lot. So we we expected um, to to obviously after those two things, we knew we were in trouble. We knew we were in trouble before that. Uh, there was totally a glimpse of hope. I mean, there was like, yeah, there's there's actually an opportunity to win this thing. And if you notice in the last it was the last month, last three weeks of the campaign, we changed what we were talking about. We weren't talking about winning anymore. We're talking about the impact of second place right. and where second place could put yeah. us and trying to kind of bring those people back to say, look, realistically, Molinaro's not going to win. And sure enough, what we said was totally true. He lost by over a million votes. Right. He had no chance. But there's a lot of people in New York that if they had made a different decision, we still could have made tremendous impact. Um, like Larry jokes all the time. Larry and I just did a couple of events together. And he, he joked that you wouldn't be able to keep us in the same room because, you know, he'd be on CBS, I'd be on Fox, then he'd be on CNN and I'd be on MSNBC. And all we would be doing is constantly talking about the issues, talking about how we took second place and what has to happen in New York to make it better. Yep. Um, so unfortunately, that's not what's going on right now. But I'm very, very proud of the campaign we ran. We got ballot access for the Libertarian Party, which has never happened. Not in 46 years they've been trying to do that. So that's a big win because now wherever you live, you can actually have an option. You can have somebody who runs, not major party, and you can have somebody who actually cares, somebody who represents the people. And that's not to say that in like certain areas there aren't Democrats that represent people, there aren't Republicans that represent people. In those smaller local elections, that totally happens. Um, but in the bigger, you know, statewide and stuff like that, and some of the small ones, you just have the same people that have been in there with no term limits, election after election, nobody's willing to challenge them. Now you've got the opportunity to challenge those people. Yeah. So this can be a yes or no question because this is something that I would love to see implemented in New York state. If New York okay. wants to be the first one to do this, I think it would be awesome. Uh, so Cuomo won 15 of the 62 counties. Is it time for New York to put in a statewide uh, electoral college to protect upstate? Um, that's a good question. I'm not against it. I don't know what the implications would be. What I think we could do easier and that's actually doable is home rule. So if you guys follow the Sharp Hollister campaign, you heard us talk about all the time. We talked about let counties be counties and how you take the power away from Albany so you don't have a dictator ruling the state and each county keeps their tax dollars. They make their own rules and they kind of you know, the state's job is to just protect your rights, not infringe on them. Right. That's what that's what home rule does. And there's actually a movement right now in the state to make that happen. Um, so Larry's supporting it. I'm supporting it. We're talking about it. Um, a very good friend of mine, George Curbelo, is uh, working on that through what's called the Liberty Den. 
So if yep. you Google Liberty Den, um, you can actually see the, um, I think you sign up on the website or there's a link there for the home rule resolution. You can actually download that and try to get that passed in your county. I think there's 17 counties working on it right now. So essentially, um, if we can get home rule passed in the county, state government becomes, I don't want to say irrelevant, but if enough counties do it, state government becomes less and less relevant to the point where um, you've probably heard of the New, New Amsterdam group um, or movement or the divide New York, the idea that you would take New York State and kind of chop New York City off of it. Now, for that to happen is like really difficult. You'd have to have a constitutional convention, which um, only comes up once every either 20 years or 30 years. I think it's 30 one. years. It was the yeah, we two years just ago? well, we had the, the, we had the vote, the vote for one. it. Yeah. Yep. 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 And what happened is a lot of the unions were really worried about pensions. Um, so they ran a huge campaign against it, um, which may have been the right thing. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, but we got 30 years till our next even opportunity to, to vote to have a constitutional convention. So the idea of dividing New York State isn't as possible. And I think the Electoral College piece falls under that mm -hmm. um, same type of process. But... Home rule, we can implement this year if we had enough bodies, enough people willing to do it. Um, so that's that's been my focus because it brings a very similar result. It's doable way quicker and it's doable county by county instead of trying to push it through on a state level, which now the Democrats have total control over the state. It's, they're just never going to let it happen. So let's move on to second A, the meat and potatoes of what we're here for. So um, first, Gerard and I have have literally had uh, hash out arguments on this podcast about this, which which is funny because we were arguing about agreeing. I yeah, know, okay. But we did. So I, I want to read the Second Amendment for some of our followers that may not have heard of it. Are, are clueless because of the misinformation about it. So we'll start with reading it. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So in your opinion, what did what the heck did the Founding Fathers mean by that statement? So in, in, my, yeah, in my opinion, um, that means you as an American citizen – uh, and, and there's some background to this, too. So I'll, I'll just throw this out. Um, if you haven't heard of the Federalist Papers, those were kind of what were put together as, as their intent of what the Constitution would be. And there's a lot of background in there. So when you hear the Second Amendment, there, there's a, a lot more to their intent. And the intent of the Second Amendment was that the people would be able to defend themselves from their government, from their government. Okay, now I know that times feel different, right? We, we didn't just fight a revolutionary war, but the Second Amendment was written with the idea that they just fought off their government and wanted to make sure that they could do it again. So the Second Amendment's not about deer hunting. I, I know a lot of people enjoy hunting. I am a hunter. I enjoy hunting. It's not what it was written for, just an added benefit. Um, no, it was meant 
so that and and I'm sure I know what the follow up question will be from the statement, but I'll throw it out here anyways. Um, it was meant that the government should never have weapons and technology that the citizens don't have. That's that's what the Second Amendment was about. And the Second Amendment's also about choice. And people say choice. What, what do you mean the Second Amendment's about choice? Well, the First Amendment is first for a reason. Right. And that is you have to be able to have freedom of speech and freedom of association. If you don't have those, you you can't really have any of the other rights without freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of pre press. But the Second Amendment was there to be your choice and to protect your freedom of speech, your freedom of association, and to make that choice to stand up for what you believe in without having to worry about harm coming to you. So the Second Amendment, it's it's about your right to defend <coughs> yourself by any means necessary and absolutely by whatever your government would come after you with. So I know, you know, for some people listening, go, oh my goodness, this guy's crazy. Uh, that's why and how they wrote it. I don't know. We've I, said that for years on this show. Well, I, and I always found it funny that either the same people that say, "Oh, you know, the, yes, the founding fathers were, you know, they 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 had good foresight and you know, looking forward to the future with you know, uh, putting provisions in to eventually defeat you know slavery and But when it comes to the Second Amendment, it's like, oh, well, they were just talking about hunting with muskets. How is it they could? plan so well for future growth of our nation and yet in this one area they just drop the ball yeah you know? well you know there's there's a phrase that often gets dished around mainstream media and social um, media and that is uh, assault weapons or assault rifles the musket was literally like the bleeding edge technology <laughs> for warfare at the time i mean we're talking you right. know they had the top of the line you know it's highest rifle, tech yeah. assault rifle of <laughs> their time period so yeah they they want if if the forefathers were here they'd be like why isn't every household have an m4 and a saw like right. <laughs> you yeah. know yep. yeah um, so one of the things I wanted to touch on was was the culture surrounding the Second Amendment. I feel like we've we've established the the mainstream media, all the talking heads on TV, uh, they pretty much just spew out fear. Oh my God, you know, uh, U.S. gun culture is ingrained to be violent. You know, so many U.S. civilians have firearms. Um, I, I dug up a number: the uh, the small arms survey. Um, globally tracks how many civilian firearms there are per country. And according to their research, 393 million firearms are held by Americans. I'm proud of that number. Yeah. Those are I'm rookie numbers. We got to pump, those, pump numbers. those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pump right. them up. Yeah. Um, so, well, I mean, if, if you take their, their logic, you know, on the other side, if there's 300 million firearms, then we should be having a bloodbath 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we don't. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just one horrible incident here and there and here and there, but not this just raining blood, you know, just, just shoot fest. Right. And that's, that's, you know, a testament to you know, us legal gun owners that 
we 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 don't do stuff like that. No. You know, we have them for a reason. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when I hear a number, was it three hundred ninety million? Right, that was the number. Three million. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, my first thought where my mind goes is, if guns were really a problem, we'd know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. we we would know. I mean, how many cars are there in uh-huh. the United States? You know, I I don't know what that number is. Um, and we have way more deaths from car accidents. Um, in fact, I did a show on um, the top five deaths in America or causes of death in America, um, maybe like a month or two ago. And it was um, heart failure. It So basically like fast food, right? Yep. Uh, <laughs> and uh, like medical malpractice was on there, you know, accidental overdoses with like wrong prescriptions. So like, it's actually safer to own a firearm than to eat fast food, visit your doctor and drive your car. So, you know, based on those numbers and yes, I'm generalizing, I'm painting with a really broad brush here. Um, but the, the numbers are, they're there. Andrew, Uh, do you have a line for, uh, appropriate gun regulation that you would be like, okay, you can go up to here. I'm okay with that. But don't don't go over it. Mm. Like I'll See, put it I... in perspective. So so okay. I'm I'm one of those types of people. I've I've talked at length with Gerard. I'm in the ballpark of if I want to own a tank, I should be able to go own a tank. If I want to own a bazooka, I should go and buy a bazooka. And no one can say boo about it. But and I'm a little more. He's a little bit more well, I, say, I, yeah. I hate to say it, but left Linny. <laughs> yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> but I'm okay with, you know, regulations, uh, you know, with stiffer background checks, um, you know, mandatory continuing education for certain things, uh, you know, violent felons not being able to own firearms. I'm okay with that type of regulation. But when you tell me, oh, you can't own a gun with, uh, you know, a plastic piece on it because it looks like a pistol right. grip. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. Yeah. So let me let me touch at least we'll start with mental health and we'll and then we'll dovetail into felons and then maybe we'll yeah. talk background checks and <laughs> cool features and rocket launchers after that. Um, so <laughs> so sure. mental health. It, here's the thing. Um, if somebody is a threat to themselves or somebody else. Yeah, we should try to protect people from that. So I I don't want somebody running around who can't make valid decisions with a loaded firearm. But to that point, the system we have today in New York, for those who might be listening outside of New York or don't know what it is, if a doctor just marks down that you had trouble sleeping last night or you've asked for... um, some sort of nighttime medication or you get Tylenol with codeine in it um, or, or like any of these sort of things. And there's examples of people that this has already happened to in New York. Your name gets submitted to literally a secret database. It's, it's a secret. Da- I mean, it sounds like something you'd have in a movie, but that's actually what happens. Um, state troopers show up to your home to confiscate your weapons. And I'm not okay with that, especially because uh, people have, been lost in paperwork, shuffled up, the wrong person's information has been submitted. Now, here's the issue with this. 
there's no you being informed that this happened. It's a knock on your door, and then you know. Or you right. go to purchase a firearm, and oh, you've been submitted to a national firearms database, so when you go purchase a weapon anywhere in the United States, you come up as a red flag and you can't buy a weapon. There's no appeals process. There's no due process. There's no anything. You're on there. You're there permanently. And it could just be a clerical error. We just talked a few minutes ago about how clerical errors and medical practices are one of the leading causes of death in the United States right now. Now we've given, you know, the ability to take away your rights from that as well. So, you know, if somebody is truly, you know, say they're on suicide watch, yet they shouldn't have a firearm right then. But it should be two individual doctors signing off on it, not just one. You know, I, I don't want to be in a situation where, you know, somebody just has an inkling or a feeling, so they're going to strip your rights away. No, I want two medical professionals to say, you aren't fit to make valid decisions, and we're, we're going to, you know, protect you from yourself. Um, but then I want an expiration date on that. You shouldn't mm -hmm. just lose your rights indefinitely. It should be, right. um, treat it. yeah, treatment's going to be six months, let's say. And in six months, you'll be reevaluated. If you're good, you get your rights back. Do you know how many veterans would seek treatment and even turn their firearms in because they know that they're a threat to themselves or somebody else if they knew that they would get their right back after treatment? Right. Instead, what we have is veterans who are dying at a rate of about 22 veterans a day committing suicide because they're so afraid to get treatment because they know if they go get treatment, they lose their rights forever. And these are people who literally signed up to fight for those rights, who said they would die for them. And ultimately they do when they make that choice. Ultimately they end up dying to keep that right because they weren't able to get treatment. So it's, so that that's just my take on that. Um, it, it gets me worked up a little bit because, you know, thinking about veteran suicide really, um, just, I don't know, gets me a little emotional, I guess. Um, so that's how I think medical should happen. I think two doctors sign off on it. It's not indefinite. You have the right to get your rights back once you've gone through treatment and you're stable again. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Um, and I, I would then move over to felons because felons is another, uh, another concern for people, right? They go, wow, this person's a felon. Should they own a firearm? Um, I think if, if they you're are a violent felon. I mean, yeah. if you're a felon because you, you know, sold too much weed or you yeah, stole, you know, whatever, yeah, right. <laughs> really here, have right. them back, well, whatever. And that's, but, you that's... Know, if, if you killed three people and somehow got out on parole and no, you know, yeah. So we're, we're talking about two things really, right? The first is just how broken our justice system is, right? The fact that people are getting felon felonies for having a naturally growing plant. Right. And we could probably spend the whole show talking about that, but we won't. Yeah. But but we really need to evaluate um, what a felony is, especially in our state. Um, if you if you look at, uh, there's some proposals right now in New York that if you're animal, which um, it, they classify as a working or non-working animal, so that includes farm animals and also just your dog, um, is stored, leashed, or penned up 
um, in an area that's not four times their length and four times their height between the hours of 7 p.m. and 6 a.m., um, that's a fine with jail time. And yep. if you do it two or three times, it's a felony. Yep. So well, that's what I they're looking the at passing right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so and on kind of like a little tangent here, we really need to address what we're issuing felonies for and what we're writing laws for. Um, but as far as criminal anything goes, I have a really basic rule. And that is, once you've paid your debt to society, should we still be holding your rights from you? No. I mean, if if we have put you in a cage, right? You did something so bad that as society, we've deemed you need to now be in a cage, which is funny because these jail cells are actually smaller than what's illegal to put your animals in now in New York if this <laughs> bill passes. Um <laughs> But, you know, just kind of some irony there. Um, if if what you did was so bad that society we've deemed that you need to live in a cage for a decade, two decades, however long. Once society deems that you are now allowed out of that cage, should you continue to pay the price and be punished by not having your rights back? Um, some people can't vote after having a felony and it varies state by state um you can't get certain jobs and that that i think makes sense depending on your charge um but i think that there's there's two things one is you've paid your debt to society you should have your rights back yeah. and the second thing is i think our criminal justice system needs to be focused on corrections right. not prisons as profit right correct and that's right. where, I, like, when you were saying that last statement, I my mind was going, well, if our criminal justice system and our correctional system actually rehabilitated people in jail, I probably yes. could sign on to that a whole lot more yep. instead of going, hey, yeah, you're in jail for ten years and you're going to be the exact mm -hmm. same criminal you are ten years ago when you when you're released, or if better, probably release. worse, yeah, right? probably if not worse. Probably so, you've learned a better way to break into somebody's house with all your buddies. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yep. So, yeah. I, that's, that would be my, my opinion on that point. Gerard, you were shaking your head through most of that. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I've been saying that for, for years. I don't, like, uh, I don't like the fact that we take people that – and I will excise out the violent offenders. But just, you know, nonviolent felons that come back you know they do their time they come back and they're you know effed for life yeah. they can't vote they can't get a decent job um it literally puts them on a path to say well eff it i'm just gonna do it again or whatever i did before maybe i'll do something even more worse just to you know try and get that quick cash or whatever the case may be and of course then they go back um yeah. and it's a revolving door and it starts when they're young, especially in you know, the lower income uh, uh, culture. Um, you know, they start young and all they learn like is, okay, well, they're kicking me back on the street. Oh, now I can't even get a job at McDonald's. Well, I'll just go back to hustle. So uh, yeah, there's no, there's no end to it. And then, like you said, the, these, this for-profit industry now is basically building lifelong customers. <laughs> you know, yeah. to put it bluntly, uh, which is strange because we as the taxpayers are technically the customer, <laughs> which is a really right, it's, right. it's a really interesting, you know, when you think about it, you're yeah. like, 
I'm paying for that. Right. I'm the one paying for that. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing yep. what when you really break that. it down what we pay for. It is yeah. amazing. Let's let's die. We we kind of touched on the the red flag laws that I know mm. with the Democrat controlled, you know, Assembly Senate. It'll it'll eventually come down the pike um, in this state. But let's let's touch on the Safe Act because there's there's so much within the Safe Act that I don't think people really understand what the consequences were to that. So. Uh, what is it, and how did people really get affected by it? So it's awful, awful, awful legislation. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. Um, so I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Um, in a nutshell, the SAFE Act, it wasn't even passed in a way that's constitutionally acceptable in New York State. That's the first thing. Um, this was a law that they wanted to pass and knew that Maybe it wouldn't if people had the chance to actually read it. Um, So they initiated what's called a message of necessity, which is strictly reserved for like natural disaster emergencies. And Cuomo said, guns are a natural disaster in an emergency. So we're going to do this totally illegal. Um, They forced a vote. So you're supposed to have three days as a legislator when a bill is proposed, three days to review it, read it get together with staff, get together with people in industry, understand the consequences, whether intended or unintended for a bill, Um, reach out to constituents because they're the people who voted for you to represent them and see what they want. And all of that was bypassed. So it was solely bypassed. Um, The joke is that the ink was still wet when they voted on this bill. And what this bill does is it's, um, you know, if you want to use a, bun- a buzzword, it's comprehensive gun control, you know, <laughs> um, except it's not. It, it, what it is, is um, it's a piece of marketing material is the way I see it. So they branded it as the SAFE Act, right? So what does that sound like? Safety. So already it makes you sound like warm and fuzzy, like we should do. Yeah, I feel so good already. Um, They did it right after Sandy Hook. So when people were high emotion, um, want something to go on, you know, children had died. Um, You know, so so really it was it was a really well constructed. You got to give them credit. I mean, they literally knew how to pull on heartstrings. They they had the media riled up. I mean, they. They did what they did very well. Um, The legislation, however, uh, did make some people safe. A lot of people don't talk about the people that were made safer by the SAFE Act. I always like to point it out because it's important to, you know, give credit where credit's due. Um, If you're a criminal who breaks into people's homes, your liability insurance went down because of this. Uh, (laughs) You know, your workers comp is a little less now, you know, if you're a professional criminal, because what the SAFE Act did is disarmed um, law-abiding citizens. It made features of firearms illegal um, that are readily available in almost every other state in the nation. So literally, if you have a piece of plastic on your firearm that the state legislator has deemed evil or dangerous, you go to jail for that. 
You lose your rights. You get one of those violent felonies. So if you're convicted under the SAFE Act, that's a violent felony. You never vote again. You never get um, to own a firearm again. Doesn't matter what state you go to. You're in the system. Um, you can't get a job anymore for a piece of plastic that makes no difference whatsoever. However, if you molest a child in New York State, oh, you get right out. Uh, you, yep. yeah, you get to vote. it's you get. To, well, it's a misdemeanor. It's not even a felony. <laughs> so what what we've literally done in New York State, the people that care so much about the children. Because that, that was what this was all about. Um, we've deemed that you can't have plastic on a piece of equipment, and that's more important than a child who gets molested. So that, that's just, I mean, it does so much more, right? It, um, it has that mental health provision that we talked about, where people have been accidentally misreported and they lose their firearms. Right. And it gets put into the NICS system, which is a national system. So you could leave New York. You could decide, wow, that was terrible. Um, my rights got stripped away over a clerical error that had nothing to do with me. And I'm going to leave this state. I spent $10,000 fighting it. Um, I like everything's gone. There's nothing here for me. I'm going to leave the state. Oh, you go to some free state like Arizona or West Virginia or something like that, South Carolina. And they, you know, you go buy a firearm. Oh, nope. Says nope. here you're in the NIC system. You can't. So it doesn't matter. It follows you anywhere you go. Um, something that people don't often talk about in the SAFE Act is the Webster provision. And the Webster provision actually increases the jail time that you spend if you shoot a first responder. Um, that's the other thing. So there's a Webster. Um, basically, somebody set a house on fire on purpose to bring first responders in to shoot them. Yep, yep. And this is actually about 20 minutes from where I live. So it hit very close to home. Um, I was actually a volunteer EMT at the time. So this is like direct impact to me um, and the community I was volunteering in. Not a single one of us felt safer. We didn't. We knew that we we're just being used and that would not have prevented the Webster incident from happening. No deranged individual who's so broken and so distraught that they're going to fake a fire to shoot a first responder is thinking, do you think I'm going to get an extra five years for this? Right. Maybe I shouldn't. No. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe should. no. Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. So let me butt in because one thing we didn't tell you, uh, Andrew, is both myself and Gerard are New York State paramedics. So, yeah. Oh, there you go. That, that's All a right. real day job. It's, it's, so, it directly Gerard, affects Does that us. make you feel yeah. any better? No. And, and <laughs> as you know, that uh, the one uh, one of the agencies I work for, I uh, they encourage us to wear body armor. So I I bought a vest. Yep. And I have I have put it on a few times. And and let me guess, they don't let you carry on the job. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say Virginia, that, Virginia. I'm not going to say I don't know people that don't or do or. We'll just say that there are people out there that may carry. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but that <laughs> it just kind of goes back to the whole. They're, they they kind of think, oh, um, we'll we'll make it so that when we're pulling the bullets out of you, there's just right. less of them. Right, <laughs> you know, right. like that's right. that's their idea. Well, he only shot life. you with five, not seven. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that's just the mentality that these people have. Rather than giving you the means to defend yourself, right. um, they they're very reactionary. They're after the fact. Like, well, you know, if you do get shot up, 
at least we can save you. You know, you'll yeah. be at PT for the next two years and have PTSD and all this other stuff. But hey, you know, we saved you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 30 minutes yeah. away, I'll save you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the safe act, um, it, it, it brought in the Webster provision. And what I've told people is this. Um, the Webster provision, I don't think it's effective. I think it makes people feel good. And I would never suggest that we shouldn't do something for first responders. So if people felt so strongly about first responders that they were like, we really want to keep the Webster provision, great. Put in a separate law. Repeal the SAFE Act entirely. Make the Webster provision its own separate law. The only reason it was in there was so that Cuomo could wave his finger at people and say, if you vote against this bill, you're voting to kill first responders. So once again, SAFE Act was put together very well in terms of how to force through god-awful legislation. Yeah, marketability. I mean, heck, marketability. Look at that's Mm -hmm. collapsing, you know? So so my question, Andrew, would be, why why do you think the SAFE Act isn't being challenged through the court system? Why isn't it why aren't we hearing about it moving closer to a Supreme Court ruling? So I'm I'm gonna let you guys know about the secret that I learned while fighting the SAFE Act. So there's there's been a whole bunch of court cases, they've gone nowhere. And everybody's like, Well, what the hell's going on? Why can't we win a SAFE Act um, case? The New York State Constitution has in it written any law passed by the state legislature is deemed constitutional. So when people fight the SAFE Act, they're always like, what? Second Amendment, the Constitution will protect protect us. That's not how New York State law is written in the judge's rule based on New York State law. Now, I would love to have a judge that actually stands up and says, uh, I don't care. And, and this is unconstitutional based on our national constitution and therefore right. eliminate it. But that's not what's happening. They're looking at that line of law and saying, you can't say this is unconstitutional because according to our state constitution, it is because it was passed through the state legislature. So that's... We have a supremacy clause. Yep. Federal Trump state every time. Yeah, it usually only happens once it goes to the federal Supreme Court. Well, that's that's, that's the point. Is is it not getting there is violating... Yeah. So I, (laughs) yeah, I. So I guess the question would be, is it worth taking it instead of to state courts, take it to federal courts? Straight to federal. I I think, you know, I mean, if, if federal people can take a Trump decision and pick an appeals court that knows going to rule it with them, why can't we take it to some backwoods appeals court and be like, Hey, take this to the Supreme court. So I believe that um, that there are cases already lined up for the Supreme Court on a federal level for the SAFE Act. They haven't been accepted yet. And who knows how long it'll take. Um, right now with the government shutdown, I don't think the federal courts even have funding anymore. No. So that's just like pushing stuff out further, which as an aside, I know that sounds like a bad thing. Um, we could spend another podcast talking about <laughs> how I actually think that the federal government being shut down, which isn't very shut down but um it's not quite a bad thing it's actually uh bringing communities together people are realizing oh 
I can clean up my own park. Why did I used to pay the government for this? You know, like that sort of thing. Yep. Um, yeah, you'll so, get no disagreement yeah. with me and Gerard on that one. And him and yeah. I would take it down to a matchbook cover if we could. Be like, there hey, you go. You, you yep. were allowed to do protection and protect our rights. That's there you go. what you're allowed to do. And I would even I would go further and say international that. commerce. That's it. I want to move on to uh, two proposed laws. I'm sure you've heard of them. Um, 21st District, which is, for people who don't know, uh, Brooklyn in the New York State mm. Senate. Democrat uh, Kevin Parker submitted two bills late last year, I think early this year. Um, I believe they're in committee. The first one being S9191, um, which uh, would grant, uh, would actually require you to grant the state permission to search your social media and search engine history prior to the ability to receive a new or renewal on a pistol permit or license to conceal. Um, in my opinion, how is that not a breach of the fourth amendment? It, it totally is. Yeah. It's also like, a breach of the second amendment, yeah, but they don't I, care. I, I agree York, with that. You know? Yeah. They just don't care. Um, yeah, that's, that's just the reality of the political climate in New York that these laws are even being proposed. The fact that people think that it's even okay to propose this and that they might actually even vote on it. Um, the only real saving grace to this is the fact that they don't have the means to do any of those searches. Like right. they, they would have to hire so many people they, they and like train them on how you use the internet as sad as that sounds i mean you know you actually have to have competent people who understand how to you know use the internet and stuff like that um to make that so i i'm hoping that committee just finds that as like they don't have the means to do this but in all reality um yeah, it's it's a violation on so many levels, so many levels. That's like saying in order for you to own a firearm, I need to follow you around for the next four years, right. see what you do in your home, what you eat for lunch. Um, what was your birthday party like? And uh, what was your private conversation with your spouse? And, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, that it's a to it's a total violation. Um, I'm really, really hoping that it doesn't go through. And I kind of feel like it won't. I know there was, there was a lot of excitement about it initially. Um, I mean, geez, if, if it does pass, I mean, that might be the grounds for me to find a place in there South Carolina. I don't know. <laughs> um, so what about this other one that he also proposed? Uh, Senate Bill uh, S2857A, which uh, would require all gun owners... Uh, in the state of New York to hold liability insurance no less than $1 million. Um, I'm looking at these as just roadblocks to uh, more further roadblocks for legal, you know, law-abiding citizens to own firearms. It just makes yeah. it harder for us to do what we have a constitutional right, constitutional right to do in the first place. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, really, what it's about is making firearm ownership expensive, that's that's really what it comes down to. 
And uh, we could go on this crazy tangent on how gun regulations like this actually hurt minority populations the most because your your typical white guy can afford it and your typical minority and and i'm i'm painting with a really broad brush here but statistically this is what it is minorities can't afford it so what you're literally doing is making two classes of citizens those that can afford to protect themselves and those that can't um, so it's just it's terribly discriminatory on so many levels, but not just that Cuomo banned gun owner insurance in New York. So, you know, we've got on one side of the coin, yeah. it's been banned in the state. And on the other side, they're trying to make it so that you have to have it. You have to have something that's illegal. I mean, it's it, it just goes Sounds to like show how to disconnected that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's it's as if it was like illegal to not have car insurance, which is true. You have to, by law, have car insurance in New York. Um, but then if the governor said, well, car insurance in New York is illegal, what is that? Right. Um, people have to start questioning whether or not they're allowed to own a car, which <laughs> is the same, same sort of thing here. People are going to start questioning, are they allowed to own firearms, period? Because there's no way around it. Right. So, yeah, it's it's like backdoor gun confiscation. That's really what it is. Right. And and that's uh, again, Gerard, you and I have talked about this in length, uh, you know, a hundred yeah. times is is it all seems like now um, it, both sides of Congress, whether it be at the federal level, at the state level, it really doesn't matter. They're showing their true skin in the fact that eventually they're going to say, hey, just give them to us. You're not allowed to have them. They're mm-hmm. ours. Um, and you know, they, they kind of, I know you don't agree with that, but it's true. You know, it's true. I'm not, not going to, I'm not going to get on that bandwagon just yet. I, I think that they're much more crafty than that personally. And my example is the safe act. Yeah. I mean, the number of people that willingly turned in their firearms because they did not want to be locked into a cage because they didn't understand the safe act and just assume their firearm was illegal. They'll do it with baby steps. I mean, they've been doing this for decades. They nibble away here, nibble away there. They make it about health. They make it about protecting children, general public safety, and they do it in a way that sounds reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not going to be like this new bill that says we're going to kick in your door and drag you away kicking and screaming if you don't turn in your guns. It'll be something along the lines of, any guns that are high-powered rifles, which is anything more powerful than 22 caliber, because who needs anything more powerful than 22 caliber? Right. There's documented cases of people killing a deer with it. It must be powerful enough. Right. You don't. What do you need a 3084 or a 30-06 or a 50 cal? Who needs a 50 cal? That's a weapon of mass destruction. Well, it's a good and, thing. My AR-15 is only 22 caliber. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that's how I always see gun control happening, and and the in the masses who, I mean, let's be honest, we know firearms. We talk firearms. Firearms is becoming niche, right? It's it's becoming a very focused, narrow market. And, you know, I get the difference between a two, two, three round and a five, five, six round. You know, your overwhelming majority of people don't even know what I just said. 
Right. You know, they're like, what does that even mean? Let it know what is the difference. Right. So they they prey on the lack of education with people. And a lot of these politicians, they don't even understand it themselves. Five, five, six sounds way more dangerous because it's a bigger number, you know. Yep. So th like that sort of thing is, I think, how they'll just keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then one day you'll be like, wow, I can't have a firearm made out of metal. Like, what do you mean? Like, it's got to be wood. Like, who who would do that? You know, and, and that's when you realize, oh, crap, you know, it's, it's the frog in the pot situation. And that, that really is the running theme with the loss, you know, the, the correlation to loss of our rights um, gradually over the years. And we've talked about it ad nauseum is the uh, is just the, the lack of education on everything. Uh, we always bring up the fact, you know, whatever happened to civics class? And then you wonder why your government is so out of control, is we've raised a generation or two already now that do not have any idea, you know, simple concepts like, you know, the, the, a bill must originate in the House, you know, and they go, oh, yeah, my senator introduced a bill. Well, he's not supposed to. Exactly. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, but, uh, it's, the it's democracy the republic thing still gets me. Yeah. That's what gets me heated. Anytime, even I listen to, you know, huge talk shows, you know, have 600 channels on the radio and they're like, oh, you're our democracy. And I'm like, no, you're just making it worse. But I, I won't go there. So I, I wanted to tackle the misinformation because there was a couple statistics yeah. that I, I wanted to include. Get your guys thoughts on. It's not really much of a, a question, but I wanted to educate the public that was actually listening to this. So I found uh, 2017 uh, FBI crime statistics, uh, U.S. murder totals, including manslaughter, amounted to 17,284 people. In, That's not even a percent. It, it gets better. <laughs> uh, I, it breaks it down into a couple different categories. Uh, 264 were from shotguns. 403 were from rifles. Let's keep that number in mind because that's, like you said, the scary assault rifle, right? 403. Right. Yet 7,000 were from uh, 7,032 7, were from handguns. Um, 1,591 were from knives. 696 oh. were from your hands and feet. And 467 were from hammers and other blunt objects. So, really, knives killed more people than shotguns and rifles combined. By that's a, well, it's, it's time shot. for some common sense knife control. I mean, that's right. it's, 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 we're all going to have to learn I'm how to so slow glad you brought yeah. that up because I'm waiting for, <laughs> I, I, I brought up the, the 19 uh, times more likely to be stabbed in the European Union and Australia mm -hmm. because they have banned all handguns and pretty much everything better than shotgun. Um, yeah. So now 30% of their murder rate is due to knives, but yet yeah. only 6% is due to guns. So really what'd you solve? Nothing. You, you, you gave one, you took away one and gave it to the other. Um, That's why I, I always go back to Archie Bunker talking to Gloria for those of you who are too young to remember, there was a show. It was called All in the Family. It was actually kind of funny. And uh, she confronts Archie with these gun you know, murder rate statistics. 
And I always thought his answer was was just the, the greatest of all time. Would it make you feel better, little girl, if they were thrown out of windows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah. They're going to find a way to do it. Right. And that's it's just, it. So, you know, here's uh, an independent study was performed by the University of Pittsburgh and found that 79% of all gun crimes committed in whatever area they were looking um, were committed with illegally possessed firearms. There you go. You're trying to regulate 21% with gun control because the 79%, they don't give a rat's behind. They're going to find a gun in Arbor Hill for 20 bucks on a street corner or wherever, you know, the spot is in Rochester. They don't care, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that's, and that's the sad realization that people don't, people don't have. Um, and, uh, and the last one that I think is great, we keep in mind the 17,000 people taken uh, by these objects. According to the CDC, in the same year, 2017, a minimum of 500,000 people to upwards of 3 million lives were saved by the defensive use of a firearm. Most cases, it was solely by taking it out and flashing it at the perp not even firing a shell. No. Yeah. So where's, you know, we, we weigh risk benefit all the time. 500,000 yeah. to 17,000. I mean, why I'll is take it it. that being flashed around? The, you because know, that doesn't campaign. sell ads. No. Doesn't or, sell ads. There you go. Two votes. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Oh. Um, yeah. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Um, yeah. Andrew, I'm going to wrap up anything that you wanted to add that we didn't touch on um, today with the Second Amendment stuff. I didn't really go into a lot oh. of the federal stuff that I had planned, but whatever. Oh, that's okay. No, not a big deal. Um, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to follow, see what I'm doing next, I've got some stuff coming up that can't quite announce just yet but hopefully in the next month or so um larry and i are going to be doing a couple projects together they'll be uh i i'd like to think pretty cool so um if if you want to find out more about me or more about what larry and i are doing you can find me on facebook search andrew c hollister um make sure you put the c in there that way you actually find the right one um or just andrewhollister.com. The site will be updated probably in the next month. And we're going to roll out some cool new stuff and let you guys know what we're doing. So, And, and once again, thank you guys for having me on the show. I had a yeah, blast. I'm, yeah. I'm sure we could talk another yeah. four hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. We'll, we'll need cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's almost finished. <laughs> uh, I know uh, it. Thank you, uh, Andrew. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. Like